<laughs> Welcome to Watch Out, where we dig through our DVD dungeon, where we scour the endless streaming landscape, all to help you find some kick-ass horror movies. Hello and welcome to the Watch Out Horror Movie Review Podcast. We're glad to have you with us. Our goal is to provide you with spoiler-free reviews and recommendations for both recent films and horror classics. And to not be boring, I am Jason the Terrible, broadcasting from Ottawa, Ontario, and I am joined, as always, from Vancouver, BC, by Grave Robber Jeff. Hi. And Slice and Dyson Dave. Hey, I like the enthusiasm, Jason the Terrible. I think that's what's going to get us through the evening, as they say. Are you having a rough evening, Slicing Dyson Dave? Life in general is very hard, Jason the Terrible. I hear you, Slicing Dyson Dave. <laughs> but you know what makes it a little easier? Watching horror movies from the future and just going, hey, this is what the world could be like in the future, so we might as well enjoy it right now. I think that's one of the reasons that people watch horror movies, whether they be future horror movies or not future horror movies. Because they remind us that life could be much, much worse. Oh, they, it sure as hell can, Jason the Terrible. So yes, our mini-review theme this episode is futuristic horror movies. Who the hell picked this theme? This was my pick. Unbelievable. At first it was a hard theme to think of, and then, I, then, then it wasn't so much. Grave Robber Jeff, how about you with the mini-review theme? Did you find it a challenge to pick a movie? Sure, it was a challenge. And the only reason I found it was because there was this website that said, here are five movies that take place in the future, <laughs> which then led me to, a, oh, there's a Wikipedia page for general all movies that take place in the future. There's a gigantor list. I think I uh, saw that list, Jeff, yeah. With uh, when they were filmed and when they were meant to be set. But I didn't want to read through all that, so I just stuck to the little website I found of five. And of course, our feature review this week was picked by Slice and Dice and Dave. And it is... The Town That Dreaded Sundown from 1976. Now, I do warn you, everybody, I'm about to crack a, a beer. And I don't usually podcast and drink, but it's one of those days. Ah, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes it needs to be done. There are a lot of podcasts out there that podcast and drink, and that's their thing. Most of those podcasts would be talking about what beer you're drinking. So what beer are you drinking, Dave? Wow, well, I'm from uh, the uh, lower mainland of British Columbia, Canada, and we have lots of breweries around this neck of the woods, and this one is uh, from Stanley Park Brewing, just the old uh, Park Sesh Lager. You know, so it's like just a couple people lying in lawn chairs with their dog running around on the on the uh, can here, and it, it's a nice light beer. I'm a lager guy these days. I used to like the ales when I was in high school, but now I'm old and things. Sounds like you would fit right in on those podcasts about beer. Did I say high school? I didn't drink alcohol in high school. I meant college. <laughs> I was a by-the-book young man, as they say. In non-horror movie news, I watched the movie Soul with my kids this past week. I did not know the movie Soul existed. It's a Pixar movie. And I loved it. As a non-horror movie recommendation, as an animated Pixar movie me recommendation, I would say go watch that, because it was a hell of a movie. You don't say, never heard of it. 
that's the thing. That's why I'm bringing it up is because I had never heard of this damn movie. And my kids, we were we were going through Disney Plus and my son said, hey, let's watch Soul. They watched it before. And it came out in 2020 or 2019 or something like that. And damn, it was good. Have you heard of it, Grave Robber Jeff? Oh, no. Really? <laughs> so I'm willing to bet there's a there's a bunch of people out there that have no idea this movie exists. And if you're a music fan, you're going to love it even more. Are you sure it wasn't called Sing? Is it a ripoff of Sing? No, Probably it's... a ripoff of Sing. Well, I've never seen Sing, but I can I can pretty much <laughs> guarantee it has nothing to do with Sing. Okay, so just to give you a synopsis, because, you know, maybe that's what we need here. There's a band teacher who is actually quite an amazing jazz musician, but he's just never had that big break. And just when he's about to have his big break, he finds himself on the way to heaven. Wait, did what you the? say fall break? We're going on now. A fall break. Oh, damn it. Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry. So anyway, yes, it's all about what it means to have a passion and purpose in life. And so there's a big, deep meaning in there. It's going to tear jerk you around a little bit, but I really enjoyed it. Are Damn you it. telling me you, you, you cried, Jay? No, I didn't actually cry myself. I thought, I thought it tear jerked you around. It's going to oh, attempt man. to tear jerk you. Around. The gloves, the gloves are off after I've had three sips of beer here. You know what I'm saying? Tell me about it. All right. Well, let's move into our mini review segment. Grave robber Jeff, what's your pick for our futuristic horror movie? Grave robber Jeff's fresh dig. So, as I mentioned, there is this website that had five horror movies that take place in the future. I had seen a couple of them. I had not seen a couple of them. So one of the ones I hadn't seen was Event Horizon, which brought me to IMDb to see where I could watch it. And apparently it was only rent only on all our services. But in the You Might Like uh, category, there is a movie called Pandora. So I said, wow, that's free on Prime right now, so I'll watch that one. And so I was all ready to talk about Pandorum, because I kind of liked it. And little did I know that our own Jason the Terrible already talked about Pandorum during our Under the Radar episode. In fact, it was so under the radar that little did you know, even though you were on the same episode with me. Yeah, it goes to show, I guess we should listen to our own show. I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, so that threw me for a loop because I'm like, oh, god dang it, now I have to watch yet another movie. And I exhausted that top five horror movies set in the future <laughs> list. So I'm like, shit, what do I do now? I've got no idea. So that's when I end up finding the uh, Wikipedia, but it's just like a thousand movies. You can't go through all those. So then I said, fine. I'll event. I'll event. I'll rent event. Yeah, that rhymes. I'll rent event horizon. Wow. Try saying that. Oh my god. Fast. Yep. So event horizon. <laughs> Pretty much it's about space travel and uh, they send a ship out to explore the universe and it doesn't come back. And so they send another spaceship to find the first spaceship, which usually doesn't work doesn't out. Come. But that's what the <laughs> movie's about. So one of the neat things about these futuristic movies is the idea that the, the writers had at the time of what the future would look like and when. 
And so this movie was from 1997. And the first blurb in there gives the, the kind of timestamp. So 2015 was the first timestamp. And it says, the first permanent colony on the moon was established Ooh. in 2015. So now that's well past. We definitely have no colonies on the moon that I know of. So then 2032, it's just a mere 10 years from where we are now. Commercial mining has begun on Mars. And so that's probably quite a ways away now, unless Elon Musk uh, figures it out, I guess, because I don't know if anyone else is working on it. Anyways, then 2040 is when they send this fancy spaceship, the Event Horizon, out to the limits of the solar system to find new things in the universe. So part of the thing that happened in 2040 was they launched the ship, but it gets lost somewhere around Neptune, and no one hears from it again. So that's when Event Horizon the movie picks up in 2047, when they send the next ship trying to find the Event Horizon. And it has a crew that's full of very intelligent people, led by the captain of the ship, Miller, played by Lawrence Fishburne. We all know Lawrence Fishburne. And the guy they bring with them, the doctor who designed the Event Horizon himself, Dr. Weir, played by Sam Neill. I, of course, know Sam Neill as uh, Dr. What's-His-Face from Jurassic Park. And I guess you guys would know him from In the Mouth of Madness. That is correct. So one of the things they use here, which they probably use in a lot of these space shows, I think they use it in Pandorum too. I might get the two of them mixed up because I watch them so close together. You get in these pods so that you can travel distances without... Are they cryogenic? Sort of kind of, I guess. It takes about 56 days for the the next ship to get to Neptune area to start looking around for the event horizon. 56 days? I think that's what it was. It doesn't seem like a lot. It's not something you no. have to freeze yourself in a pod to survive. Maybe it was 72. I can't remember. <laughs> Anyways, they were in the pods for a certain amount of time, and then they get to Neptune and they get unliquefied or whatever you want to call it. So the crew gets there... They're kind of annoyed that they're there because they were all on vacation pretty much and brought back to work just for this specific expedition. So they're a bit ornery, but uh, the doctor insists that they find this thing because it is very important to humanity and all the science that's on it. And eventually, I don't know if this is too much of a spoiler, but they do find the event horizon. And they do board the event horizon and take a look around and nobody's there. And so the rest of the movie is pretty much trying to figure out what happened to the crew who is no longer there on the event horizon. Now, I've heard or I read one description that, that fits this one pretty well. And they said, this is the shining in space. <laughs> and it sure is. So if you want to have an idea of what goes on on that ship, just think of it as a haunted hotel, kind of. In space. In space. And and there's there's a lot of, like, cool, I don't know if they're homages or whatever to The Shining, but I'm sure it probably was. You'll, you'll know when you see it. So, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Because these guys are wandering around, and they're getting tricks played on them. And they're going kind of like, they're getting some of the space madness kind of stuff going on. It lends itself to a lot of really, like, creepy stuff. 
There's a lot of hallucinations mixed with flashbacks and the whole atmosphere is super creepy and suspenseful, I guess, because you just don't know what's going on. And there's just a big dark ship where things can jump out at any time. And I thought the acting was pretty good. Like, you got good actors in there, like Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne are both good. So the director of this one was Paul Anderson, who, after directing Mortal Kombat from the 90s, wanted to do something more sinister and more graphically violent. And I always wonder why they decide to do graphically violent movies. Anyways. And so he decided to do this Event Horizon. And he also said no to directing the X-Men, which I thought was interesting. So, on his thirst and quest for violence, the original take of this movie was well over two hours. And it got smacked with the uh, kiss of death, the NC-17 rating, because it was way, 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 way too violent. Son of a... Exactly. And so in order to get a, a lower rating, the cutting had to happen. And so they cut well over 30 minutes of content. To this day, I believe the director regrets that, that he had to cut it out because he thinks that he cut too much out. And apparently there's a random VHS copy of the uncut version floating around somewhere. But neither the director or anybody else from the production has seen it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't think it's going to end up on a director's cut anytime soon. I think that was as of 2017 they hadn't uh, dug that up. A random VHS copy? Like one VHS copy out there somewhere? Apparently. Because the joke is that the two guys who know about it haven't been in the same town with the VCR yet to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I don't know if that's true or not, but... But it's on the IMDb trivia. Oh, it must be true then. Yeah, it's got to be true. I guess I'll just finish off saying that it had a pretty disappointing box office. But as some of these movies usually do, the the DVD and video sales afterwards uh, did very well. And it, it has uh, quite a cult following. But I thought it was pretty neat, especially with the parallels to The Shining. The little bits of gore that are in there are pretty are pretty rough. So I can't imagine what they cut out. <laughs> but but there's not that much. It's just like super quick. So most of this is just like a, a mind horror type thing where uh, things are happening that may not be real and it, it's kind of creepy. And the, the certain things you see from flashbacks, not very pleasant. We can say that. So overall, I thought the acting was good. Production quality was pretty good. The horror elements were pretty well done. I'm going to come in at a 7.2 out of 10. 7.2 out of 10. Thank you, Great Robert. Yeah, way to go. So you guys have actually seen this movie before, right? Yes, absolutely. I've seen this one before. Uh, Yeah, no, I've seen it. It was a goddamn great flick, if I remember correctly. I remember being taken aback by the gore that was in it. I'm not surprised to hear that, that they had to cut a lot out of it. I am a bit surprised to hear that he didn't get, like, why didn't they make the original Mortal Kombat more violent and gory? The game is based on being violent and gory. No, I've seen the new Mortal Kombat. It's it's pretty gory, to be fair. They they made it pretty gory, which was nice. It's just the irony of it. It's like, well, I just did Mortal Kombat, and, you know, I feel like doing something really violent and gory. <laughs> Grave Robber Jeff, thank you very much. 7.2 out of 10, Event Horizon. All right, guys, we, we just want to do a quick promo here for a podcast that 
that I personally find quite entertaining. This is the Vintage Video Podcast. I don't know if you've heard about this one before, but these guys are watching and podcasting about every single movie in the 1980s in chronological release order. So they've actually, they've actually made it into 1981. So they've done the entire 1980 year, every movie that was released. Think about that. Think about the fact they plan to go all the way to 1989. And think about how many horror movies they are going to be covering during this decade. This is a, this is a podcast that you absolutely have to go check out. I love it. And here's the promo. On the Vintage Video Podcast, we'll be reviewing every single wide release of the 1980s in chronological order. Over 250 episodes to enjoy and thousands more to come. John enters the store now to order another can of ether. I picture him outside like Homer with the gasohol. <laughs> when for you, when for me. I also like to think about it, that the kids renew their vow not to talk about the murder. By, by murdering <laughs> someone. <laughs> They're taking a blood oath with someone else's blood. This stuff is seven times more powerful than uranium. And yeah. they, they open up the vault that it's contained in, not wearing any kind of protective nope. gear. Yeah. And it's wooden crates. Wooden crates. It's like the guys in Chernobyl picking up the graphite rocks yeah. and going, man, eh, because there's rocks. Hugging the elephant foot. <laughs> just like, oh, this thing's smooth. It's so warm. He turns to dial the number from the classified ad without even thinking about the numbers. <laughs> we know this because we can hear his thoughts and he's talking about how AJ was right that ninjas are misdirecting him. They're misdirecting him. I really wish that he'd turn to the phone and be like, six, six. Vintage video. We're rewatching the '80s, so you don't have to. All right, slice and dice and Dave. Do you want to do our next futuristic horror movie mini review? Slice and dice and Dave. Scream and stream saga. Yes, hello everybody. This is Slice and Dice and Dave, and I've picked a movie that uh, is a horror movie, and it takes place in the future. Some might call it a futuristic horror movie. Directed by Kristen Duguay. The last scream you hear will be your own. That's right, 1995's Screamers. Takes place in 2078. Well, let me just read you the old synopsis. I hope this is a good one. Sirius 6B. That's the name of the planet. The year 2078. On a distant mining planet ravaged by a decade of war, scientists have created the perfect weapon, a blade-wielding, self-replicating race of killing devices known as Screamers, designed for one purpose only, to hunt down and destroy all enemy life forms. <laughs> hey, do you know what, what, uh, who, who stars in this movie there, fellas? Enlighten us. Peter Weller. You know who Peter Weller is there, Jeff? Robocop himself? You goddamn right it's Robocop himself. God, I love Peter Weller. And uh, so he's in it. There's a gal named uh, Jennifer Rubin who plays Jessica. She, get this, she's from A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. She plays, uh, I think her name was Taryn, the chick with the mohawk. A gentleman named Andy Lauer plays Ace Jefferson. He was a he was a good dude in that movie. He was in such shows as Iron Man 3 as a satellite technician. <laughs> uh, he played Charlie and Caroline in the city and and he was in I'll Be Home for Christmas with uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Everybody remembers Jonathan Taylor Thomas, don't they? Home improvement. Yeah, you got that right, pal. And um, I'll be damned, get this. There was a gentleman named Ron White who was in there. 
Now, I'm only bringing him up. I don't think he... No, he did have a pretty decent part in it. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2018. But get this. Do you know where he was born, gentlemen? Enlighten us. Dawson Creek, British Columbia, Canada. Wow. That's just a hop, skip, and a jump from where we were born in Fort St. John, British Columbia. Way the hell up north. That's a long ways away, as they say. Anyway, so I just wanted to shout out Ron White, unfortunately, uh, passed away a few years back. Uh, Roy Dupuy is in there, and uh, and there's some other fellows and fellettes. But I remember watching Screamers when it first came out. I remember this movie very fondly for however long it's been, 20... Jesus Christ, it's almost been goddamn 30 years, hasn't it? Wow. Where does the goddamn time go? Now, I've only seen it the once up until this point. So I always remember going, oh, yeah, I, I loved Screamers, right? So Robert Ebert uh, gave the film two and a half stars out of four. He, he remarked that, uh, and I quote, uh, it was made with a certain imagination and intelligence. So I guess I was more imaginative and intelligent back then because I did not care for it as much as I remembered it. It was a Canadian-American production, filmed in uh, Montreal and around that area. Actually, even filmed in the, uh, where the hell is that place that those expos used to play? Those Montreal expos. Olympic Stadium. Yeah, goddamn Olympic Stadium. They even filmed some in there. It was uh, based on a, a short story, fellas, written by Philip K. Dick. The 1953 short story, Second Variety. And they started writing the screenplay around 1981. And it took 14 years for it to finally be created and released. So it was a, a lot of purgatory in the making, this particular movie. And you might go, oh, Screamers, I bet you that's a low-budget, one of those shitty low-budget mid-90s films. Well, that's what I thought. But when you're watching it, you can tell that it had a little bit of a budget. And I, I looked it up, gentlemen. $20 million. So that's quite a budget, I thought. And um, I'm watching it, and I'm like, I, I get a really a really hardcore, like, uh, Total Recall vibe, eh? You know what I'm saying? It felt very Total Recall-ish. Well, get this. Are you ready for some info? We're ready. Philip K. Dick also wrote a short story called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, uh -huh. which became the 1990 film Total Recall. I had big-time Total Recall vibes without realizing the same guy wrote Total Recall. Well, so there you go. I'll be goddamn damned. That's the thing. It's, it's one of those, like you say... Futuristic horror-type movies, and it is a horror movie. It, can, it gets pretty creepy at times. Kind of alienish, total recallish, all mushed into one. In my humble opinion, not as good as either of those two. But uh, I do love Peter Weller, like, with a vengeance. <laughs> and the story's kind of cool, because these screamers become self-replicating, you see. And then they upgrade themselves and stuff. So then you don't really know what the hell is going on with these goddamn screamers. There's this war going on there, and then this guy realizes, hey, we got to try to get off this planet. We got to go and try to make a, a truce with the other side there. And so that's his whole uh, plan is to go to the other side and try to make a truce and then, you know, blast off from this ass-sucking planet. These uh, screamers, they're relentless. They'll slice off your arms and faces and all sorts of good stuff. And uh, But I tell you what, it 
unfortunately, it it came a little boring at times. A great, kind of a pretty cool idea, and it's cool how the screamers evolve, and then you don't know really what the hell is going on, but not too much actually happens. As some of it looks really cool. Some of the shots are really cool. You can tell that there was some money. Some of the CGI, unfortunately, was a little... Well, that was awful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But there's some creepy moments, especially with some of the upgraded screamers. But yeah, man. I mean, it's funny watching it 30 years later and just like kind of remembering bits that you hadn't remembered for years and years and years, right? So so in that case, it was cool. I probably will never watch it again, but I am glad I rewatched it. I, I gave it a two and a half out of five stars, so that would be a five out of ten. Kind of sad, really, because I thought I uh, I liked it more. Just wasn't as, I guess it's just not as good as I remembered it. It's one of those films, you know what I mean? But if you ever get a chance to watch it, you can. Here in uh, Canada, I watched it up on Prime, unfortunately. You'd have to rent it, I think, if you were in the old United States of America. But, I mean, Jeff rented a movie, so why can't you? Go and rent Screamers and tell me what you think about it. Yeah, and you know what's, uh, what else is interesting? They uh, made a sequel to Screamers, which was re- released in 2009, called Screamers The Hunting. And uh, it was released to mixed reviews, as you might believe. I have not seen it yet, but I will go and see that. Apparently, it ties up a few loose ends, as they say, which is kind of interesting. So, Screamers the Hunting, the sequel to Screamers. So, there you go, fellas. Thank you, Screamers. All right. Thanks again, Slice and Dice and Dave, Screamers. All right. It's my turn. Let's talk futuristic horror movies in Jason the Terrible's DVD Dungeon. Jason the Terrible's DVD Dungeon. For this segment, I chose from my DVD Dungeon a movie from 2008 called The Mutant Chronicles. I knew next to nothing about this other than the fact that it starred Thomas Jane, who I knew from The Punisher and The Mist and Deep Blue Sea. I wasn't even sure it took place in the future, so I was very happy when it started up and it said 2707. I'm like, yes, it's a futuristic horror movie. So what happens if it wasn't 2707 and it was like a current movie? Would then you I would have to, to go watch, watch another one. Or I would have tried to change the theme. Unbelievable. And hope you guys hadn't watched your movie yet. All right, so The Mutant Chronicles. It's a pretty cool setup. There's this machine that came to Earth sometime in the in the past, which would still be in our distant future, from what I understand. Or actually, it could have been in our distant past. This was kind of fuzzy. The machine came to Earth, and, it, and it's a machine that turns people into mutants. And these mutants look all angry and, like, bald-headed, and, and they all have a really sharp left arm. Actually, I think it was a right arm. They all have a really sharp right arm. That's, like, their, their, their one uniting mutant feature it's not like the x-men where they all get like a cornucopia of varied powers and stuff no everyone's just looks ugly and has a really sharp right arm awesome but there was someone in the past that managed to seal off the machine deep underground and they put this big seal on it and the machine was gone and forgotten about for for generations and generations and generations go by until 2707 where Earth is in a state of constant war, but it's not country versus country, it's corporation versus corporation. 
You know, you've got your Amazon versus Apple versus Tesla. No, actually, they don't use those. They use some other corporations. But I can only imagine if it actually happened, it would be Apple versus Amazon versus Tesla. So there's there's war going on all the time for the dwindling resources. And, and of course, they accidentally break the seal to the machine. And all of a sudden, mutants come pouring out and they start turning all the dead soldiers into mutants. And, and things just go downhill fast. Like I said when I started, I had no idea what this movie was about or who was in it other than Thomas Jane, but Ron Perlman is in this movie. And hey, he, wasn't he Hellboy? He was Hellboy and a whole bunch of other things. Like, he was also in uh, Pacific Rim as someone that, that gets really into monsters. So Ron Perlman plays Brother Samuel. He's a very religious guy that, that knows all about the, the Mutant Chronicle book that explains how the mutants were first defeated and... and and how if you have faith in a plan, you can go and defeat them again. And so he he goes to, and again, I didn't know he was in here. He goes to John Malkovich, who plays the leader of one of these corporations. And he says, hey, John Malkovich, I want 20 guys to go on a suicide mission with me so we can destroy the machine. And John Malkovich, who filmed his scenes in two days, was like, okay. And they, they, they form this, this group of 20 guys. And as you can imagine, there's, there's, probably, there's guys from, like, at this point, they're bringing all the corporations together to fight the mutants. So bygones are bygones, and they've got people from this corporation and that corporation on the same team, and they're, like, kind of looking at each other sideways because they're not really sure if they like them or not. But they've got all sorts of characters here. They've got female samurai characters they've got ornery like spanish characters they've got german like characters and they all have they're all like very one note characters and that's really the problem i have with this movie is there's there's not a lot of character development in it i think it would have been so much better if there was one character you could latch onto and really care about i thought it was going to be thomas jane but not really he's pretty one note too and so they all get together on a quest to go find the hole that leads to the machine so they can blow it up. And that's basically your movie. Oh, I also want to mention that of all the other people in the cast, and there's quite a few, the, the other one that really stood out to me was Sean Pertwee. Because I'm working my way through finishing Gotham, finally, he plays Alfred in the Gotham series, so he was very, very recognizable to me. You're probably thinking this is a really big concept of a movie, like there's big wars and there's like big landscapes and mutant attacks and big machines and like post-apocalyptic cities and things like that. And it's, it's a lot to do for a movie. It's got a $25 million budget, but you need a lot more than that to make that look good. And so, so what they've done is a lot of green screen stuff, a lot of computer-generated backgrounds, a lot of it looks pretty cool, but a lot of it doesn't. You're, you balance out the experience of, of seeing what does look really interesting and, and, and cool and amazing with stuff that just looks awkward and, and artificial. A lot of the machines, like it's all based on steampunk machines and they're really cool. Like the, the flying stuff that they have is all steam powered which for 2707 I would have thought they'd be a little bit more advanced, but it but it's pretty cool. There's some big crashes, there's some big fights, there's some scary mutants, a lot of religious-y stuff in here. 
and there's an ending that's okay. In fact, the, there was one part of the ending that was like, oh, no, really? That's disappointing. One thing I wanted to bring up, because it's a weird coincidence here, besides the fact that it was directed by Simon Hunter, who I think only directed a handful of movies, it was written by Philip Eisner, who also happened to write Event Horizon. What? Oh, neat. Yeah. So, And he didn't write a whole lot of stuff either. So the fact that he wrote Event Horizon and we're talking about it at the same time on this on this episode, it's a little little bit of the universe working with us here. It was filmed in the UK. Like I said, $25 million budget. It made $2 million worldwide. So was not that successful. It was originally based on a Swedish role-playing game, like a pen- pencil and paper role-playing game. And yeah, I think it suffered because of how much it was trying to do in the one hour and 47 minute runtime. You don't have enough time to develop 20 different characters. I, th- I think it would have been better as a miniseries, even with the production values that they had. I-, I can forgive that, but there were times when it was just kind of boring because I didn't care about the characters too much. And there were a couple of plot points that were just unbelievable. And I had a hard time understanding the geography of everything. Like, this is a global thing, and it was hard to follow a little bit. All of that adds up to a pretty pretty disappointing watch for me. I think there were good parts to it. But if I'm taking my, my job seriously about whether I would recommend this to a friend or a listener of our podcast, you really got to suspend your criticism of this because I'm coming in with a 3 out of 10 and that's that's about all I can say about that Is that the lowest rated movie you've ever reviewed? It's getting there Yeah I don't think we've ever had a 3 before I know but I'm I'm getting I'm getting down and dirty with these ratings because I'm sick of giving 6s all the time I'm still looking for the 8s, 9s and 10s to to come along yeah, we seem to be low on the 8s, 9s, and 10s, aren't we? We might just have really high standards for what an 8, 9, and a 10 is, but I found myself playing it safe too much in the last, like in our first half year of episodes. Yeah, we got to be right right down and dirty with our ratings, don't we? You know well, what I'm saying? I, the way I was looking at it was, like I said, if I wanted to recommend this to somebody... I'd have to be very careful who I recommended it to because not many people are going to enjoy it. <laughs> Copy that. Three out of ten. The Mutant Chronicles. Sorry, Thomas Jane. Sorry, Ron Perlman and John Malkovich. I don't know this I don't know the story behind the production of this one. That I mean there was a scene in there that looked like it was being filmed on a soundstage because it had like the lighting rigs above it. They tried to arrange the room to look like it had lighting rigs above it, but it just that, looked like yeah. they were filming in a soundstage. That happens. Yep. That goddamn happens. All right. Well, it's time for our feature review, fellas. Woohoo! And now watch out for our feature presentation. Yeah, everybody. It was my week to pick a movie here, you see, and, uh, yeah, I was going to pick like a new shutter kind of one and let you guys know what I thought about it. But then I was like, you know what? I wanted to do a I wanted to do one that I've wanted to see for a long time. You guys ever hear of the town that dreaded sundown? Well, I had, only because of the old once again the old VHS box at the old uh, local video rental store. 
Never rented it, though. And maybe it's a good thing I didn't, because I just watched it today, as a matter of fact. And it was all right, for the most part. Should we get into the synopsis and everything? I think we should get into the synopsis. Okay. Well, I'm not going to read you the one from the Internet Movie Database, just because I wasn't quite familiar with the story behind this particular movie. I'll be damned if it wasn't loosely based on a true story uh, in the small border town of Texarkana, Arkansas. There was really a dude running around committing murders in 1946. So anywho, I won't read you the Internet Movie Database synopsis. It kind of gives you something, gives something away that while watching this movie, I didn't know what happened or not. So I will read you the letterbox synopsis. I didn't write my own because what am I, a professional writer? No. Here we go. A Texas Ranger hunts for a hooded serial killer, terrorizing the residents of a small town. Set in 1946 Arkansas, loosely based on a true story. The Town That Dreaded Sundown, directed by Charles B. Pierce. You guys might know Charles B. Pierce from other uh, directorial films. Directorial films? Or other films that he happened to direct. Like The Legend of Boggy Creek. Or or what else? To be fair, I didn't really know much else of his. Because he seemed to be a director in the kind of 70s and stuff, eh? And I kind of wasn't around at that time. so. But anywho, he did this one and I knew of that one. Yeah, do you guys ever remember that? The VHS box? Sitting there with the old sack face. Very reminiscent of Friday the 13th Part 2. Or I guess... <laughs> Friday Thirteen Part Two being reminiscent of that—that's very thing, you know, an it? important distinction to make there for sure. Yeah, yeah. sorry, I, you know, yeah, I, I make I make mistakes, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, MDB said that that's where Friday the Thirteenth took the inspiration from. But can anybody confirm that, Jason the Terrible? Well, it's not the first I've heard that, so I believe that it is true that that's where Friday the Thirteenth Part Two got their inspiration from, and you can see it. Just by looking at it, not just the bag on his head, which we're gonna, so we're gonna have to get into the plot a little bit here, but yeah, uh, the dude's running around and he's got a goddamn sack on his head with two cutout holes for his eyes. So Friday you know the saying? 13th, they decided, well, we can't copy it exactly. We'll just use one cutout eye in the in the ba- yeah. in the bag on the head. But no, no, it's <laughs> like there were times in this movie I'm thinking, wow, this this could have been lifted right out of Friday the 13th Part Two because it. The body type was similar. The mannerisms were similar. The only thing that wasn't really similar was that this phantom guy, as they refer to him in this movie, breathed really heavily. And oh, my so God. You could see the bag on his face go in and out <laughs> yeah, all the time. We'll get, we'll get to kind of the, the story as well. But, yeah, I'm sitting there. There's a scene where he's running through some corn and all this business, right? And then he's just like sitting there almost inhaling his goddamn mask, eh? And uh, it just reminded me of the other week. I finally, I took a couple months off from the old film business. And I said, I better go and friggin' do a week of work to earn some money, you see. And I was just a regular grip for a week, humping sandbags and everything. And currently we have to wear masks because of the old pandemic and everything, right? And I just <laughs> just humping these sandbags and things up and down. God, I was basically inha- I, I was basically like that guy, just inhaling his mask back and forth. I had to rip it off here and there, but uh, it it made me laugh. Although it shouldn't make me laugh because it's a killer and he's an ass face. You know what I'm saying? But uh, it reminded me of myself a little bit. 
Great. Robert Jeff, did you notice a Jason-esque performance from Mr. Baghead in this movie? I sure did. Right. I think think you... (laughs) (laughs) What about the fact that the killer in this movie used different instruments? (laughs) Oh my God, I got that. I got that joke. And if you've seen this movie, I'm sure you would get that joke too. It's not the best joke, but it makes sense. Well, do you know what's insane? Okay, fellas, let's let's uh, before we just talk randomly about this movie, which is kind of fun. This never happens. We never just we never just have fun talking about a movie like I we're know doing this right is now. never fun. Jeez, <laughs> I know it's always a chore. No, um, but seriously, like, did you guys know that this was a uh, based on a true story when you watch it? Because I know, like, there's a narrator when you start this movie. Uh, it starts off with a narrator kind of explaining what's going on, like the time. It was just after World War II. Everybody was just kind of settling down from from a big war, kind of fitting, as we talk about current events today. Eh? You know what I'm saying? Jesus Christ. Goddamn world. Anywho, I digress. Yeah, you know, and these people, they're all having this good time. God, it makes me want to, like, makes me want to live in the past, like the 46, like after the war, because I wouldn't have wanted to go to war. It makes me want to live in small town America, you know? Like with movie theaters and like cars and sock hops and everything. Jeez, eh? But I could have gone without guys running around with bags on their head killing people. My question was, did you know that this was based loosely on a true story? I did not. Somehow I didn't learn about it until after I started watching. And that always adds a bit of creepiness to it for me. Like I've talked about in the past where if it's happened in real life, then it's just a bit more sinister and creepy but then with the narrator it makes it sound like a documentary from the start so i was a bit confused about that because i was like well is this a documentary or a or a movie what are we talking about here i was really thrown by the narrator at first i just thought he was going to be there at the beginning but good god he's there all the way through the movie i I got the feel that that's how the story was going to go that there was going to be a narrator through the whole thing and i kind of didn't mind it to be fair but just, just to point out, the narrator's not narrating, like, the kill scenes or anything like that. He's just... <laughs> he's oh, my just, God. What's, uh, what's he doing to that poor gal? <laughs> what's he strapping to that instrument? You know what I'm saying? Oh, man. But what an interesting film because there's not really much of a, a, a plot, right? I mean, like, all it is is there's a small town and there's a killer killing people. So you're not really introduced to too many characters aside for the police people and the texas ranger or whatever the hell they call them right the big difference between this movie and other horror movies that involve a a killer going around killing people is that this movie is told from the point of view of the police which when you think about it you don't get that very often at all so it's an interesting perspective to come from but it's also it hurts the film too though because the police are not the ones that are in jeopardy here. It's the kids that are out parking on Lover's Lane that, that get attacked by this guy with a bag on his head. So whenever they show these attacks and you're shown this new couple, you haven't had any character development on them. You don't care for them in, in any particular way. Up until well, that other point, than the fact that they're, they're human beings and you don't want them, you know, murdered. But aside from that, you don't have like a connection with them. Am I right there, Jack? Exactly. There's no character behind them that makes you feel like you know them and and therefore are going to be sad if they're gone. And Mm -hmm. so what you've got is a very 
is almost a bipolar movie where it's some cool and creepy stalking scenes interspersed in like a Keystone Cops comedy. Yeah, I was going to say, Jesus, man, like this movie's kind of all over the place with what it is. It's like half West, like half Smokey and the Bandit. Did you see some of those car chases? Holy shit, man. When they were flopping all over the road. <laughs> I was laughing my ass off. I was like, guys, stay on the goddamn road, for God's sakes. <laughs> They're like doing like circles around each other and stuff, and then freaking jumping into bogs in their car. I was like, that was goddamn hilarious. And then what's that one character that's basically just uh, the dopey sidekick type guy? Spark plug. Ah, yes. Thanks, Gray Rover. Jeff, spark plug. He was quite the comedy relief in, at times, a very intense horror movie. Yeah, and we should say uh, Sparkplug was played by Charles B. Pierce, the director. Yeah, I was wondering if you oh, were going to say. You, I was wondering if you were going to point that out. <laughs> Holy shit! Well, I didn't know. Unbelievable! Thanks. I'm, it's a good thing I pay attention and listen to you guys because I learn a thing or two, don't I? Yeah. So Charles B. Pierce did, in fact, play Patrolman A.C. Benson, who was not based on a real character. So just to give just to give an idea, I'm all for comedic elements in horror movies, but this was a little too slapstick because there's a point where Benson is assigned to be the driver for this Texas Ranger guy that comes in and he's being all serious and taking charge. Played by Academy Award winning Ben Johnson, by the way. Benson was is assigned to be the driver and he he goes out all the way to the car, realizes he doesn't have the car keys, comes back in, tries to dump all his drawers out looking for the car keys. The sheriff kind of nudges him and says, hey, what do you see over there? And it's a big bulletin board with the huge red letters that say car keys with some car keys on it. And it's like, there might as well have been water balloons and, and like clowns dancing beside it. That's how terribly obvious and awful that joke was. I do have to echo those sentiments on how kind of awkward the movie was in that way with the comedy scenes and the the intense killing scenes i saw another review that kind of summed it up as the zodiac killer meets the dukes of hazard and i thought well that, that's kind of right <laughs> that's <laughs> so a good it's point just, it was such, such a such a bizarre mix of filmmaking here those car chases that, that you were talking about, Slice and Dice and Dave, I noticed there were two places in the movie that they used slow motion. One, one is in the climactic chase scene, but the other is while they're skidding around on the dirt roads in these 1940s era cars. I just got to imagine that since this was filmed in 1976, they probably got all these old cars and they, they were playing around with them and they were like, hey, look what we can do with these. <laughs> And so they're probably like competing with each other to see who could do the best donuts in these these vintage cars. <laughs> and then they just put it on slow motion and threw it in the middle of this movie. Oh, God. That was hilarious, man. That's something I will definitely take from this film is all this, the goofy ass car chase scenes. So, yeah, let's try to. So let's set up the plot a little bit more. At the beginning of the movie, we get an attack by the guy with the bag on his head. He does some weird stuff that's not a typical attack. There's reference to some chewing going on. Oh. We do have to say right off the bat, there's nothing in the way of real obvious gore or violence here. I mean, a lot, most of it's implied. 
I'd say one thing I have to bring up because I know in one of our old shows you were complaining about lack of screaming by the victims. And this one you do not get that. Holy crap. <laughs> there's there is a ton of screaming here and Oh <laughs> it, it makes you it makes you quite uncomfortable. Well it made me uncomfortable, I can say that. I, think I, the, I definitely noted that as well, Jeff. Not tons of screaming. You get your fill. As soon the police start to suspect that there is a pattern behind the frequency of these killings, so they start to try to anticipate. And and they do bring in the the Texas Ranger guy who took down some killers before, and so he's going to save the day. And one thing that I found interesting, and after doing the research, not only is there a narrator, but there's also like an on-screen date whenever the night of the murders comes around again. If you check the real story, none of the dates were actually correct in terms of the dates that the real killings happened on. So that seems like an odd choice. If you're going to loosely base your story, you might as well, like, what's the point of not using the same dates? Well, maybe, maybe it's something to do with legal logistics and stuff. Because if you make things too on the nose, then maybe, you know, because I heard there was some family issues that they actually did take them to court for certain for certain um, reasons and 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 they didn't end up uh, the family members didn't end up winning or anything but maybe that's why because if they change things just enough then they're not I know but I, I think the criticism one of the criticisms of this movie is that they were very very loose in the details and I think that was what that was what one of the lawsuits was about was that the brother of one of the victims was claiming that they portrayed her as as someone with low morals and a, a bit of an airhead when she was actually very smart and graduated high school early. Yeah. And to be so. fair, man, like that, like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm actually on that, uh, the brother's side there. I'd be pretty upset about that. Let's put it this way. This town, and they did go back and film in the same town where this happened for, for a lot of it. Yes. Um, and because of the way the movie and the original case ends, which we're not going to get into because, like Slice and Dice and Dave said off the top of the synopsis, if you don't know how the original case ended, then it's kind of worth watching it without knowing. And yeah, so we're yeah. not going to spoil that here. It is in synopsises. It is actually on one, the movie posters. And, and this is something that the town did not appreciate. It's hard to talk about without talking about it exactly, but even after all of this, even after the town went through this themselves in 1946, and then they went through the filming of it in 1976, every year since 2003, they've actually shown this movie in town as part of their Outdoor Films in the Park series. They do embrace it. At least that's what it seems like on the surface, so... They they change so many details. The, the narrator says only the names have changed, but it's like the names changing is just the start of it. But I guess it follows ex approximately the same plot in terms of in, over the approximate time period, a certain number of, of kids were attacked or killed. What's interesting is that not everybody that's attacked is killed. That's kind of unique here. But the other interesting part of this is that the killer uses a gun sometimes. Ah, that's true, yes. But, oh my God, what an ineffectual gun. Yeah, well, I mean, it did the trick here and there, didn't it? Did it? I mean, there there was a scene there where two people each got shot twice in the face, and they were both still crawling around. And he never missed either. He seemed to hit every shot, which was interesting. 
I don't think this was this wasn't being marketed as a slasher movie, right? Because slashers were still hadn't really taken off yet. This was the year year or two before Halloween. Yes, there had been a few slashers to come before it. This killer just happens to wear a mask and happens to stalk young teenagers. Just like no a one slasher told, would. Yeah, no one told him, hey, you can't use a gun. Slashers don't use guns. The movie tries to be a lot of things. It tries to psychoanalyze the guy. Oh, I did, you know, I didn't like that scene where they brought in the um, psychiatrist. Uh-huh. I didn't like that when they sat down and tried to figure things out. I was like, that was kind of stupid. Um, Speaking of scenes we didn't like, th- there's a scene where they end up at a sand pit in broad daylight. Yes. And, yeah. and they run around for a while in the sand pit. Yeah. I just don't understand how they ended up there in the first place. Let me explain it to you, Jeff. I read somewhere that when they started filming the, the movie, they did not have a, the ending quite written out. So a couple guys just threw together the ending to this movie. And maybe Actually, that's the, why. The <laughs> actor Andrew Prine, who plays Deputy Norman Ramsey, he mm-hmm. was the one that supposedly finished writing the script. Like, well, apparently none of that necessarily happened. In oh, I know, life. but it's terrible writing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's because it was written by the guy because there wasn't an ending written. I think it when, was a pretty low budget movie, though, and, and four hundred thousand dollars, Jeffrey the terrible or Je- what the hell's his name again? Grave Robin Jeff, four hundred thousand dollars, and it made something like five million bucks. Was that four hundred thousand in seventies dollars? Yeah. Yes, that's quite a bit. But I just bring that up because apparently some of the extras were reused a few times in different roles and stuff like that. And they were uh, from the town itself. Oh, did we bring up who else was in this movie? No, you should no, do that. Who? One of the people who was attacked was played by none other than Don Wells. Don Wells? Isn't she from Gilligan's Island? Mary Ann from Gilligan's Island. She had one of the extended scenes and apparently didn't read any script, like did everything based on the direction of the director. And I don't know, I, I didn't mind her performance. Uh, yeah, good old Don Wells, eh? Un- unfortunately, just, uh, just passed away in 2020, December 30th, 2020 at 82 years old. Lovely gal. Lovely, lovely gal. You were saying that Cindy Butler also passed away not too long ago. Yeah, Cindy Cindy Butler, who played, get this, Peggy Loomis. Hey, isn't that the same gal from Halloween? Well, no, it's that's Dr. Dr. Loomis. Loomis. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm just pretending. I just, when, when I heard the name Loomis, I was like, wait a second. And then I thought of Halloween. But anywho, yes, uh, unfortunately, she as well passed away in 2020. Uh, at only the age of 64 years old, so that's unfortunate. How I first heard about this movie way back when was in one of those articles, I think it was in Horror Hound, actually, where they were listing all of the the best movies that had yet to get a DVD release. And so this movie does have a sizable cult classic following just because it was so hard to find. And so... I gotta say I was a little bit disappointed with the final product given the hype in terms of... What the hell, man? I wasn't expecting it to be half Dukes of Hazard comedy. I was expecting it to take itself a bit more seriously, I suppose. 
I, 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 I can see what you're trying to say as I, <laughs> at times, because there's a scene where, where, uh, what the hell is his name? Sputnik? Spark plug? <laughs> Spark plug. There's a time where Spark plug, like, volunteers to do something for the old, uh, case there. And then, like, they, they figure they'll send out some decoys out into the city and hopefully they attack these decoys. And I said, what the hell are we watching? Some sort of goddamn Barney Fife ripoff or something? There was a WTF moment that I had during one of those kill scenes with the trombone. I'm like, what the hell am I watching? Well, I mean, that, that was a very unique murder. Like, I mean, have you ever seen that again? Or do you think you'll ever see that again? And if you want to see it again, you know where to go. But the I town that dreaded sundown. But I don't think that was a good thing, necessarily. I don't think it was a do you know what's interesting though? I I did I found it, I didn't find it funny. I found it pretty brutal. I know, but there's no way that anyone would have thought to do that. Like I it did not make any sense for the killer to do that. And it didn't add anything to the movie. Like and and on top of that, he's trying to play the trombone while wearing the mask. Like <laughs> it, it, none of it made sense. And and so <laughs> That's why I liked it. I know, but it, so I, I'm saying, no, it's not a horror comedy, even with all this, the crappy comedy parts put in it. And um, let me ask you this, because I wanted to reply to your comments about the, the decoy scene. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, we'll just describe it a little bit, where the cops decide they're going to dress up as, as couples that are making out in cars to see if they can get the, the killer to attack them. I guess it just goes to show you back in the 40s that there were no women on the police force because... Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. All of the women were police men dressed up in drag. Again, f trying for cheap laughs, especially with the, the interplay between the two of them in the car after that. It it does go to show that, and maybe the me the moral of this movie is your hormones are going to get you in trouble. And th that's the part mm -hmm. that I don't quite get here, that if they know there is a goddamn pattern to these things, so they know when not to be out alone in a car with your girlfriend, why can't they just control themselves enough to wait for the next day or like the next week or something? Well, I mean, to be fair, there wasn't like a lot of murders in this movie, right? I, I like I'd say maybe after the second group of murders, that's when I'd be like, oh shit, yeah, something's going on. I better not go out and get frisky in a car. They kept getting frisky in the cars, and it was after the movie was trying to tell us that this whole town was freaked out. Yet there were still yeah. randy teens going out getting but, frisky in cars but, and getting attacked. Uh, yeah, but I mean, the movie can say the whole town was freaked out, but I don't believe the whole town was freaked out until maybe the third murder. But they were still going out in cars after the third. So this is what I'm saying, like, the good movies are supposed to tell the story by showing you what's going on. They don't have to tell well, Jay, you. This Jay, movie was telling you, but not, but hate, they were showing I, us something totally but, different. But I, I hate, I hate to say this, but, but it happened in real life, man. Yeah, but real life didn't have a narrator <laughs> saying, you know, that the whole town was freaked out. Right? The, this narrator is telling us, as a viewing audience, that the town dreaded sundown. It's the name of the goddamn movie. Yet, 
That's a good name. A good name for a movie, too. But if the whole town dreaded sundown, then why were there still people going out there to make out, especially if they knew the pattern that the killer was following? Jason, Jason, were you ever a teenager? I did not go make out if I knew someone was going to kill me. I mean, you're you're telling me, Jay, you you wouldn't take the risk if there was a really sexy gal that said, hey, let's go and make out in a car, even though there's a slight chance you might get murdered? You, You wouldn't go out with a sexy gal in a car? I would find a room a with a door and a lock on it, and let's let's put it that way. And huh. and, and to Good be call, fair, <laughs> to be fair, the mo of the killer does change and adapt over the course of the movie. So I guess that's that's fair. But it's just an a tried and, it's it's a tried and true trope where the the kids get themselves into trouble by being too horny. Well, no, I know, but hey, get this: this is 1946, right? This isn't. They this haven't isn't seen goddamn. horror movies before. I know. Not like we have, you know what I'm saying? They've seen the Draculas and the werewolf men and the things from outer space, but uh, they haven't seen the old uh, Halloweener, you know what I'm saying? Grave Robert, what do you think? Well, I think, like, perhaps 95% of the town was freaked out, but it only takes a couple to to get the body count up. I You'd guess. definitely go out into a car, Jeff, and make up with a sexy babe at that point. Because <laughs> younger people tend to be oblivious, as we've seen time and time again. And I guess it makes it easier for the killer. He's like, oh, there's only one car tonight. I guess I know who I'm going to go stock. Oh, plus, oh, they, there was a reasoning, Jay, because the guy's like, dude, the killer's on the outskirts of town. We're, we're right in the middle of town. So there was a little bit of justification there. Yeah, I loved how they said, oh, look, they got killed right in the middle of town, but there was not a house anywhere to be seen. Like, <laughs> like it might as Small well town. have been a huge forest, so... Small town USA, pal. Small town USA. I guess. Well, guys, we should get into our rating segments, don't you think? Yeah, I suppose we should, eh? Well, how do we want to start this off here, guys? Grave Robber Jeff, let's start with the scary rating. This is definitely a tricky one because of, of the infused comedy. If you isolate it to just the, the killing sequences, I, I can say it's a pretty creepy, scary movie. So I, I'll give it like a overall... What? <sighs> what the hell do you do with the comedy, though? This Don't rate movie. the comedy. That's obviously not scary. So I think if they didn't add the comedic elements, like I would say the murder scenes were, were kind of like a seven. The one scene that kind of creeped me out was the scene where he shot the people in the house. Don't you think that one was kind of creepy? And then what happened to there? Other than that, I wasn't too scared of anything else, but it was it's kind of like it's kind of like you know that old horror story of the hook where there's people out there and then there's a hook on the car handle or whatever. I don't know, it just kind of reminds me of the urban legends, that. yes. Yeah, the urban legends. So it was kind of creepy like that. So I I don't know maybe like a six five five and a half out of ten you know I was gonna give it a five if you're looking at just the horror scenes then yeah it's it's about a five like it's filmed in night in the seventies the whole thing's almost got a TV feel to it I think that impacts it negatively for today's audiences yeah whenever it felt like it could get scary the the characters just started doing things that were clearly not like there's there's a scene where he starts getting close to the car to start attacking them, and then they start backing the car up, and he's just kind of dancing along, backing up with it. It was bizarre to see that. But then they kind of turned it around and made a scary 
scene out of it after that. So it was it was very hard to get a read on this movie. I didn't know. I do. I mean, it is a very unique style of a movie, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I've never really I've never really seen definitely a horror movie like this. You know what I'm saying? It was it was definitely interesting. Uh, what are we gonna do? Some mass smoking hoots and such? I'll start that. Um, there wasn't any. There was some attempted, you know, smooching and stuff because of the randy teens and such, but nothing ever accumulated to anything. So, uh, a big fat zero on the hoots and such. How about the gore, Grave Robber Jeff? I think it was pretty mild in terms of gore. There were some bite marks, though. And and the, the gal that got... And... Yeah, the shot in the cheek business was kind of gross, eh? Like a little offensive. That one really kind of... That's probably the thing that got me the worst, was the shot right in the cheek business. It was probably more realistic in terms of the, the use of blood and stuff like that. But but again, yeah. these are these are weapons that are pretty ineffectual when you, when you think about it. Yeah. I'd say like maybe a three and a half out of ten, because there was some blood from blunt objects and some gunshot wounds. Pretty or mild. Three out of ten. Yeah, mild. What's well, Jason? It brings us to you and the Disturbometer. I've never started one of these things. I know, that's why I'm excited to, to introduce you, to do it first. I guess the fact that it's based on a true story adds to the Disturbometer. I'm going to go off the board a bit and say that the ending I found to be quite disturbing in a way that I wished it had ended differently. That's probably all I should say about that. I'm, I'm going to say moderately disturbing. You've got scenes that could be more disturbing, like that trombone scene, but it's just so frickin' weird that, that it takes away the... I'm not sure how it impacts that, that moment, you know? Does it make that moment more disturbing or less disturbing? I, I really don't know. Yeah, that's a good one, Jay. And Jeff, that's why we don't let uh, Jason go first on... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Jeff, what about you and uh, the Disturbometer? Well, it's going to be a moderately high disturbing for me just because of the true story nature of it. The way I look at the tromboning scene, do we call it a tromboning <laughs> scene? Yes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the way I look at it is, it. I think what they were going for there was just to show that he was a... a what the hell are you doing, Dave? Fucking tromboning scene. How did I never think of that this whole time? Anyway, Isn't go on. Is that a, the actual verb? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. I don't, um, know. I, don't, I don't know how often people get tromboned, except this one time at band camp. <laughs> okay, that's American Pie reference. Because oh, There's another Simpsons reference in there. Like, Lisa, <laughs> do you have some... what? Or do you want to explain what's so funny about Trob Boner or something like that? I can't remember the actual uh, the actual line. <laughs> oh, God. I knew the Simpsons thing was coming up somewhere. Anyways, so so I think what they were going for in this was just to show like how sick he was. That's what they were going for, I think. And so that added a bit of the disturbing to me because it's obvious that he's just whacked out of his gourd. And the way he breathes and and just the general realistic killings i think oh gives it like a moderately high so somewhere in the middle there hey you know what after you were talking about all this jeff i came to the conclusion now it's not a really impressive conclusion this particular movie and a movie of its time black christmas the two killers in my opinion are very insane 
right? And I find that a lot more creepier than like your old nowadays killers that are like not insane. Although they're kind of insane, but they're not insane. You know what I'm saying? They're not realistic insane. Like like I'm talking bat shit going to a friggin' uh, the, the insane ward of an asylum. And that's scary, man. But anyway, I just I just thought of that when Jeff was talking about tromboning people. The fact that it was a true story, very disturbing. And and I didn't like we've we've touched on it before, but like the fact that he'd weigh all these guys or shoot these guys or gals and or do whatever to them, but not until they're quite dead yet. So they're there, like crawling around, going ah, and then either they finish them or some stuff happens, blah blah blah. I didn't like that. It's like you know, if you're gonna off someone, just fucking get it over with, you stinking jerk. Pretty disturbing. I'd give it a moderate, moderate to close to moderately high. All right. Well, let's get into our final ratings. Woohoo! So I think I had high expectations, like I said, because it was a it's a cult classic that I've heard a lot about, and I think I had heard that. It was an influence on Friday the 13th Part 2, so I I enjoyed watching that part of it. I enjoyed essentially watching Jason walk around with two eye holes instead of one, because otherwise... And goddamn, guys, he picks up a pickaxe at one point. Oh, yeah. And it's like, that's Friday the 13th Part 2 Jason's weapon, at least <laughs> in the game, right? Oh, yeah. It was so thick with influence on Friday the 13th that as a Friday the 13th fan, it was fun to watch... A movie that obviously inspired it. It's such a weird movie. It just is. It's hard to know how to feel while while you watch it. So, the funny parts are never really that funny. They're just kind of groan-inducing, um, and so parts of the movie just dragged for me. It's the kind of movie that you don't have to be a horror fan to watch the movie, but I think you might have to be a horror fan to enjoy the movie. I'm rating this one a five out of ten. That's my opinion. And he's sticking to it. Jeffrey, the Grave Robin extraordinaire, what do you got to say about this movie? Definitely a tale of two movies here with, with the cops and, and the killer. And I agree with a lot of what Jason's saying there. I think if you're a horror movie fan, you have to watch it because of the history. And just the bizarro nature of the filmmaking. We've said a lot about scenes that we didn't like. One of the scenes I actually liked was... Uh, there's a point where the guy is is running along the side of a train. And I thought that was a pretty cool scene. But most of the production quality and choices they made with the car chases and stuff seemed like more distracting than conducive to the story. But the horror elements were, were very freaky as I've given much higher scary and disturbing ratings than you guys did. Just the fact that it's a more realistic uh, killing spree than, than you usually get. With that being said, as an overall score, how do you weigh all these things? Well, I just throw a number together and hope for the best, so I'll give it a 6.2 out of 10. That's pretty good, Jeff. Nicely 6. done. 2. Nicely done, Grave Robber Jeff. Because, yeah, Jeff. like you, when he picked up the, the pickaxe, I was like, Friday, Friday. Oh. Yeah, hey, um, thanks, Grave Robber Jeff. One word that you brought up that really hit it on the head to me was Trombone. distracting. No. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, my God. Have I ever wanted to be tromboned more? Distracting, right? Because, like, you kind of really want to get into this movie, but there's certain 
scenes and business that kind of take you out of the movie. Does that make sense? I'll never forget those car chase scenes or the goofiness of some of the police officers and this and that. But it is a movie that I've always wanted to see. I didn't know too much about. The old true story aspect was something something I wasn't expecting. And would I ever watch it again? I probably... There's a good chance I won't watch this one again. But I still enjoyed it, and I still am glad that I watched it. Now, I won't give it a super high mark, but I will give it... I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10, everybody. And that bumped it up a bit, because this morning I gave it a 2.5 out of 5, which would be a 5 out of 10. But after talking about it and thinking about it, I've given it a 6 out of 10. It's worth watching. Um, some of you might like it more than others, just like any other movie. <laughs> but there you go. It's worth the watch, I say. All right, Slice and Dice and Dave, thank you very much for picking The Town That Dreaded Sundown. I, I for one, have been wanting to watch it for a while. Yeah, and thank you, Shudder, for having it on your streaming system. That's how I uh, ended up watching it. Oh, one other thing I wanted to point out while I'm thinking about it. Just because that movie poster is pretty famous with the hooded mask killer on it, that poster was done, was painted by a graphic illustrator named Ralph McQuarrie. This guy was pretty famous among a lot of other movies. He was the one that did the posters for the first Star Wars trilogy. It was his posters, or his concept art, was actually used to convince 20th Century Fox to fund Star Wars. That poster is quite striking. It just happens to be done by a pretty prolific and very talented artist in the in the movie poster business. So I wanted to point there that you go. out as because, well. Because of that poster is why we watched it. So there you go, guys. Um, hey, we didn't really discuss. There is a, a 2014 sequel, but I'm not sure. I haven't really looked into it. Could be a reimagining, could be a reboot, could be a remake, or it could be a sequel. But 2014, there is also... Uh, a movie entitled The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Does anybody know much about it? don't know too much about it. They call it a meta-sequel, which is an interesting description. So I'm, I'm going to check it out. I think we're pretty lucky that we could watch all these movies from different time periods. I think we live in cool times, I can say that. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us on our conversation about The Town That Dreaded Sundown. If you want to get in touch with us... I would suggest you head over to our website at watchouthorror.com. You can find all our links to all of our all the places where you can find our podcast on watchouthorror.com, as well as our email address and our social media links. And if you really want to help us out, you can rate, review, or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast service. Hey, and if anybody wants a, a movie reviewed, send us a note and maybe we'll watch it and review it. Yes, we do accept requests. All right, so until next time, and there will be a next time, be safe, treat each other well, and go watch some horror movies. Is saxophoning worse than tromboning? Thank you for listening to Watch Out. The opinions you've just heard have been made by three guys from Canada. Please keep this in mind and enjoy responsibly.
So this like is a very Chuck Norris character. This is a very Chuck, right, Chuck Norris, Texas Ranger. Is that what they call him? Chuck Norris? Well, Texas Walker Ranger. That's what they call him. Walker Texas Ranger. Oh yeah, sorry, Walker Texas Ranger. Chuck Norris. There you go. You got one of those guys in this. You know what I'm saying? That guy couldn't drive a car if his ass nailed him in the outhouse. And um, that, please don't, please don't use that. I don't know what the hell that meant. Yeah. Oh, Jeff cut out again. Darn, we're having a hard time. No, I stopped talking. There's a lot of good stuff on Amazon Prime. I just watched Whacken or Vacken or Vaken, <laughs> whatever the hell they call that town in Germany with the uh, the metal music festival. That was a good one.